I'll be reading from Acts 20. It starts out here, Paul was sailing and he passed Ephesus and ended up at Miletus, but then he calls the leaders of Ephesus to join him at Miletus. That's where it starts in verse 17. Now hear the words of the one true, the only living God. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Now, thank you, Tim. I invite you to keep your Bibles open to uh, Acts chapter 20. As you know, and as already has been mentioned today, is our final Sunday with you. Um, I will have a few meetings to help with trans transitional responsibilities over 
the next couple of weeks, but today is our final Sunday with you here at Grace Hill Church. And when I think about that, um, it brings sadness to my heart in so many ways because we love you and because we will dearly miss you. So there is sadness, but I also want you to know that there is peace and, and even joy in our hearts because we, we know that God's plans are good and we are looking to Jesus, we are trusting him for our own lives and for your lives as, as a church. But, but knowing that this is our last Sunday, as Shelley mentioned earlier, it, it's caused us to reminisce uh, about the last, the past 22 years and five months. Um, there, there are so many things that come to our minds as we think about these, these past years together. Uh, we, we remember um, the day that we moved in, we arrived later than what we were anticipating. And as we pulled in with the U-Haul, there were lots of people that poured out of the, the basement of the old church building ready to help us unload the truck. And I remember it was a very hot August the 1st uh, day, uh, hotter than, than normal, and the inside of that truck was hot. I remember preaching uh, my first sermon four days later, um, in, in the midst of all of the unpacking, and uh, uh, Sunday kept coming, and I preached my first sermon that very four, four days after we moved in. Um, we remember our first counseling appointment. It was the very first week. A lady called the church, actually, actually by accident. She, was, she thought she was calling another church, and, and we picked up the phone, and we set up a counseling appointment, and there was a lot that took place in all of our lives after that. Uh, we, we have enjoyed countless hours of of being in the Word together, in Bible studies, in sermons. We've worshipped our redeeming God together. We've shared uh, life together, uh, the life that we have in Christ together. We've laughed together, we've cried together, and we've trusted God in the hard times and in the good times. But may, maybe one of the things that I am most thankful for is the centrality of the gospel in your lives. I, I think we as a church have grown together in our understanding of how our lives are built upon uh, the foundation of the gospel. Uh, this has enabled us to be real with one another and not put a plastic face on and come to church and pretend that everything is okay when it's not. We, the gospel tells us that we are weak, but Jesus is our strength. We have been, because of the gospel, have been taught to be, we can be honest about our sin, we can confess our sin, we can ask for forgiveness, we can grant forgiveness, we can change and grow. We've taken sin seriously, but we've also found a great deal of comfort and joy and freedom in the gospel. Our, our lives are being transformed together, reflecting more and more the character and likeness of Christ. 
It, it has been a great privilege It has been a great privilege to open the Word with you, both from the pulpit and in private. Some of the most precious times have been in the counseling room where you're facing huge problems and together we look to Christ and His Word for help when you are facing those problems. We're forever grateful for your willingness to entrust your lives to us and to give us an opportunity to look to Christ together. Uh, and by the way, thank you for your kindness to us. And as Shelley spoke earlier, I had some uh, comments here prepared beforehand. Um, but we just so appreciate your love and your kindness to us, even uh, as expressed today. But, but knowing that this final day was coming has caused Shelley and I to look back over these past years really with great fondness. Um, it has caused us also to think about our future, both for us and for you. And in today's sermon text found in Acts 20, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does when he thought of the church in Ephesus. He thought about his relationship with the Ephesian elders. Uh, in his farewell address to them, Paul looked back at his time and his ministry with them. Paul looked forward to what was in store for him. And Paul looked forward to what God would have for the church in Ephesus. And so that's what I want to do with you today. Um, it's I think helpful for us to recognize that Paul's ministry with the church in Ephesus was only for a season, and it was in fact in step with God's timing. It was on Paul's second missionary journey that he, he wanted to preach in Asia, which would have included time in Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit would not permit him to do it at that time. Instead, he was called to go on to Macedonia. Later, however, Paul was given an extended time of ministry throughout Asia, including a total of three years in Ephesus, which was the longest time that he spent in any of the churches that he planted. But that time also came to an end as Paul was constrained or bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And in all of this, it was the Holy Spirit leading Paul in coming and in leaving the church there in Ephesus. It was at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. He was anxious to leave Macedonia and to go to Greece to make his way back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. And so he sailed past Ephesus and he landed in Miletus which was about 30 miles to the south of Ephesus. And verse 17 of Acts 20 says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul wanted to spend time with the elders that he dearly loved, but he didn't have time to visit the city. And so he asked them to come to him, which they did. And so Today's sermon is addressed first and foremost to the elders of Grace Hill Church, but it's not 
just for them. It's for the entire church. What is good for the elders is good for each of you as well. And as we pick up with verse 18, we begin by looking back with Paul. Paul looks back at his time in Ephesus, and as he does that, he he says this to the Ephesian elders, you know how I lived among you, verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout through the plots of the Jews. So the first thing that we see here is that Paul's life is so focused and his desire was to serve the Lord. Uh, Jesus was the driving and defining force in Paul's life and ministry. He loved people. But whatever he did for people, he ultimately did for the sake of Christ. As he says in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And he did that with all humility. Paul saw the greatness of the Lord. Paul was always impressed with the Lord, not himself. Paul constantly wanted to draw attention to the Lord, not himself. Paul understood Paul understood that anything good in him was from God and for his glory. Paul, Paul was a servant who wanted to put the spotlight on Jesus. And so that led Paul to be willing to even endure suffering. And he certainly endured plenty of suffering. And in, in, in this text, he talked about serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Uh, e- even after three years of fruitful ministry in Ephesus, and maybe because of the fruitful ministry in Ephesus where people's lives were radically changed, Paul was forced to leave after a riot started in protest of him and his ministry. So life and ministry were not always easy. In fact, it was normally filled with opposition and trials, especially from those who were most religious, the the Jews. Paul counted it a privilege to endure the suffering for the sake of Christ and his church. Now, how Paul lived his life was important, but it wasn't just that. In verse 20 and 21, Paul says, you know how I taught among you. Um, You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what is referred to as a 2020 vision uh, for ministry. Acts chapter 20 Uh, verse 20. Ministry of the Word happens from the pulpit in a public way for all to hear. But ministry of the Word also happens when you sit down with people one-on-one. This happens informally over a meal or over a cup of coffee. This 
also happens in the counseling room. Sometimes the ministry of the Word is like a shotgun that covers a larger general area of theology and life. Sometimes the ministry of the Word is more focused, like a rifle. It's more specific to a particular situation or issue in a person's life. A, certainly a steady diet of the Word from the pulpit brings good nourishment for the soul that equips you for life, but sometimes we face such difficult and specific problems that we need the help of others to understand and apply the Word to our lives in a particular way. So a ministry of the Word is needed both publicly and privately. I want you to notice too the confidence that Paul had in the sufficiency of the Word to give what was profitable or advantageous for your life. That's why Paul constantly <coughs> excuse me, that's why Paul constantly called all people, Jews and Gentiles, to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul ministered from city to city with confidence in Christ and his word to give what was needed for life and godliness. As he said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You, you can be sure that as you interact with Scripture in right ways, you will be equipped for the life that God has called you to. So Paul wanted to remind the Ephesian elders of how he lived and how he taught so that they would embrace those responsibilities when he was gone. But what will Paul be doing when he leaves? Um, that is where he turns his attention to next. Paul invites them to join him in looking ahead for his own life. And there are two key things that Paul was setting his heart on for the days ahead. First, Paul was determined to be faithful to Jesus and live in step with the Spirit. Verse 22, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. No, notice that Paul says he's going to Jerusalem because he's constrained by the Spirit. He is bound by the Spirit. The Spirit is leading Paul to Jerusalem, and he must follow. Paul knows that he lives by the Spirit, and so he must keep in step with the Spirit. That meant that there would be tears in Ephesus. The church loved Paul. Paul loved the church. Their time together was fruitful and good, but the Spirit was leading Paul on, and Paul had to follow. This, I think, really describes our situation here at Grace Hill Church. Shelley and I love you. We love you dearly. 
uh, God has indeed given us a fruitful and blessed time together over these last 22 years. And it's fitting to celebrate what God has done for His glory, but we must also trust the Lord for how the Spirit is leading for the days ahead. And as with Paul, it is our desire to be faithful to Jesus wherever He leads. That doesn't mean it will be easy. Change is nearly always filled with challenges, and sometimes God leads us into and through trying times. In Paul's situation, the Spirit testified with him that imprisonment and afflictions were ahead for him. But even with that, Paul said, my aim, my aim in life is not to be safe, but to be faithful to the Lord in life and in death. And to be faithful, Paul must make known the gospel of the grace of God wherever he goes. And that is our desire as well, and our commitment as well as we go on from here. As Paul was led to Jerusalem, and as we are led away, we do so trusting God to use his word to bear good fruit in you. Verse 25 says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And it's because because of the power and the sufficiency of God's word that Paul was confident that God would continue to bear good fruit in them when he was gone. Uh, Paul, Paul did not hesitate, or he didn't pull back from teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. There, there was never a time when Paul didn't teach what God wanted him to teach. Paul didn't teach only what was popular or well-received. Paul taught truth that was hard but necessary to hear. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1-4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it is well received and when it is not well received. He goes on, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So when God speaks, we, we should listen. Our, our heartbeat must be to hear what God has to say in his word. It may convict us, it may rebuke us, it may encourage us, it may exhort us, but what we need is to hear all of what God reveals through His Word. That is how we will be built up in Christ. And I know no better way to teach the whole counsel of God's Word than to preach and teach in an expositional way, where we consistently work through an entire book of the Bible Uh, We submit ourselves under the authority of the Word, uh, preaching through those encouraging passages and the passages that also bring great conviction on our hearts. So if God says it, we must teach it, 
And we must believe it. We, we must submit our lives to the authority of Christ and His Word and say what He says through His Word. And if, if we are man-centered, we will pick and choose what portions of the Bible that we like or that make us feel good about ourselves. If we are God-centered, we will want to bring all of our lives into conformity with all of what God says. What we think and what we believe and how we live must be centered upon what God says in His Word. This is how good fruit will be produced in your lives. Paul was hopeful for the church in Ephesus in the days ahead because he had faithfully taught them the whole counsel of God. And in light of that, Paul then began to focus more on looking ahead for them, looking ahead for you. Paul looked back at his ministry with them, but now he gives more specific and clear instructions for the elders of the Ephesian church for the days ahead. And the first thing that he says is this, shepherd the flock of whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, if you look at this verse, you, you need no greater reason to treasure the church than what you are told here. God obtained the church with his own blood. <laughs> Jesus made the church his very own through the shedding of his own blood. The, the church has been made to be God's very own through the blood of Jesus. When we disparage the church, we disparage the work Jesus did to make it his very own. And because of that, it's fitting that God also provides overseers to care for or to shepherd the church. It, it is the Holy Spirit who appoints overseers for the church. Remember, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Here, the, these elders are referred to as overseers. And as overseers, they care for the church. The word for care is the word that we get shepherd or pastor. There, there are no self-appointed elders or overseers or shepherds. It's the Holy Spirit who makes them overseers. And, and how do you know if they are appointed by the Holy Spirit? Well, they will meet the qualifications of an elder as defined in passages like 1 Timothy 3, and they will be recognized and appointed by the church. Now, the first thing an overseer must do is pay careful attention to his own life. And an elder must be learning from and following Jesus. He must be in the habit of repenting and changing and growing as a follower of Jesus. He must be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He must know the Word and put the Word into practice in his own life. He lives by the Spirit. He must keep in step with the Spirit. And so, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control must be growing in an elder's life. 
An overseer must be aware of what's happening in his own heart and life. There, there must be a willingness to humbly look into the mirror of God's Word with a desire to conform to the image of Christ more and more. An overseer must be a lover of God and a lover of people. And secondly, an overseer must pay attention to the flock entrusted to his care. And if he isn't doing it in his own life personally, how can he be doing it in the lives of others? So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock. The Holy Spirit has placed on you the responsibility to care for the souls of those entrusted to your care. The, the very ones that were brought into relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus. And so you must know the sheep, you must spend time with the sheep, and you must care for the sheep. Shepherd the flock. Also protect the flock of whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is a very sobering warning. Uh, Paul knows that he must go to Jerusalem. He's constrained by the Spirit to do so. But he's also aware that in his absence, there will be fierce wolves who will come in among them, not sparing the flock. And often wolves are disguised in sheep's clothing. So how will you know if it is a fierce wolf among you? Well, I think he will care more about himself than he will the sheep. A true shepherd will protect the sheep and care for the sheep. A true shepherd will be willing to lay down his life for the good of the sheep. On the other hand, a fierce wolf will be more interested in gaining his own following than caring for all of the sheep. All of the sheep purchased with the shed blood of Jesus. All the sheep must be cared for in tender and truth-filled ways, not just those who agree with you. you. You feel the passion and love Paul had for the sheep when he says that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He's pleading with the overseers and elders and pastors to protect the flock. But also, Paul says, feed the flock of whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, yes, the church will face dangers. Fierce wolves may cause problems, but there is great hope for the days ahead. Why? because of God and the word of his grace. This word of grace is the gospel. It's what God has done 
through Jesus in His death and resurrection to redeem a people by the power of the Holy Spirit for God's own glory. God's Gospel is powerful. And it can build you up and give you an eternal inheritance among all those who are set apart to belong to God. So, what must the elders do? They must teach and preach the Gospel. They must constantly make the Gospel known. And they must constantly hold up God's grace as what people need to persevere in the faith as they eagerly wait for glory. Paul has reminded the Ephesian elders of key aspects of a very fruitful ministry among them. And here in verse 32, Paul reminds them of what is most important of all. Paul commends them to God and to the word of His grace, to the Gospel, which is able to give them an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul, Paul was not the Gospel. He pointed people to the Gospel. And what the church needed more than Paul was God in the word of His grace, the Gospel. And that is what they had. It, it would be the elders' job to feed and nourish the souls of the saints with the truth of the Gospel. So elders care for the flock, they protect the flock, they feed the flock. And in verses 33-35, through 35, Paul also says, lead the flock of whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers. And Paul reminds them how he led among them. He said in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So here is the heart of a servant leader. As Jesus Himself has said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So shepherds lead the sheep by example. Shepherds don't drive the sheep. Shepherds go out in front and sheep hear their voice and they follow. Paul was not a lover of money. Money didn't define Paul. Paul didn't want or didn't wait to be served. Paul worked hard so that he could serve others. This Christ-like desire to serve others made those who are weak and vulnerable feel safe with Paul. The spirit of Jesus that was alive in Paul was a spirit of generosity and grace. Jesus Himself said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So the desire of an elder must be to love others, not to be loved. This is the heart of a Christ-like leader of the sheep. Now, Paul's farewell address and charge to the Ephesian elders is no little thing. Um, the, the responsibility of an elder is weighty. And I want to say, as Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls 
as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then verse 18 goes on and says, pray for us. Pray for us. So in light of all of those things, it's fitting that as their time concluded, there in Miletus, when Paul was with the Ephesian elders, they were looking up together. They prayed together because prayer expresses our trust and our hope in God. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all of them. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. It's fitting that as they ended, they together looked up to the Lord in prayer. And that's what I want to do with you right now. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our hearts before you on this very day, we do so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the word of your grace. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for what you have done through Jesus in his sacrificial death to atone for our sin. We're thankful that he was buried but was raised again, conquering sin and death, promising eternal life to all who believe. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we're here together today as people who have been enabled by your Spirit to live by faith in the promise of the Gospel. And we, we're just, we praise your holy name for that work that you have done, that work of grace, that expression of love, your great mercy that was poured out into us. We thank you for that. And Father, I am also today particularly thankful for the elders of this church. I'm thankful for Tony and for Andrew and Tim. I'm thankful for Lucas, who has been uh, in the process of serving with them. I'm thankful for our deacons as well. I'm thankful for Jason and Cody and Nick. And Lord, I pray for them. I pray for the elders and the deacons and, and pray that in these days ahead that they might look to you and to the word of your grace and live by faith in you. I pray that you would strengthen the elders in particular to uh, be able to care for the flock, to be able to feed the flock and protect the flock and lead the flock. And I pray, Father, that you would just enable the body as a whole to see those elders that you have appointed, those deacons that you have appointed. And I pray, Father, that as the elders care for them and lead them and feed them and protect them, that you would just enable each member of the body to put their confidence in you for the work that you are doing and will do through the elders. And we pray, Father, that together that they would look to Jesus and follow Jesus. They would learn for him and follow him. They would live for your glory and grow as lovers of you and lovers of people. And so, Lord, 
I just ask your rich blessing upon the elders in particular of Grace Hill Church. And Father, we, we pray all of these things. We, we desire, Father, to see your name lifted high. We des- desire to see this body built up and grow and mature. We desire to see in this body much fruit produced. And may all of these things... May all of these things be for the praise of your glorious name. Father, you and you alone are the true and faithful one. And you and you alone deserve all honor, glory, and praise. And we pray that you would do that great work in and through the elders, in and through the deacons, in and through every single member of this church in ways that will reflect the character of Christ for the praise of your name in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Father, we just ask your blessing upon them now in Jesus' name. Amen.